Welcome to Aging in Full Bloom with Lisa Stockdale, sponsored by Capital Healthcare Network, an Ohio-based, family-owned and operated company providing solutions that help seniors age on their own terms. Those solutions include home care, senior living, nursing home and rehab care, and hospice. Learn more at CapitalHealthCareNetwork.com. Listeners, thank you for listening to Aging in Full Bloom today. Our guest is an author, Marilyn Peterson House, um, on the line with us. Marilyn, where are you calling in from today? I'm calling in from Lenox, Massachusetts, in the beautiful Berkshires. There we go. And have you lived there all your life? No, we moved here when our children were small. I grew up in Minnesota. Oh, my goodness. What a difference. Yes. (laughs) Which do you prefer? Well, you know, we go back almost every year. I love both places, but of course now we've lived here since 1974, I believe. So this is really my home. But I have a second home back where I grew up on the plains on the western side of Minnesota on a farm. Ah, very nice. The best of both worlds then. So you has your book been published yet or is it about to publish? It's to be released on the eighth on the eighth, which is coming up very soon. The eighth of June. Yes. A few days from now. And yes. the book is called Half of a Whole, A Fight for Separate My Fight for Separate Life. For a separate life. Yes. And so you are a twin. Yes. Okay. Tell us all about it. What does it mean to be a twin? Well, being a twin is indeed, I believe, a unique experience. For one thing, you're crowded together in a uterus that is meant for one, so you're pressed up against each other before you even enter into this world. And then we spent all our time together on that farm out in western Minnesota, as I said, and we had no other playmates until we started school. So our... um, association was very, very close, and we developed some very deep bonds. And one of the stories that um, my mother liked to tell was um, that uh, when we were about two years old, my brother refused to take his cough syrup, and I opened my mouth and took it for him, (laughs) thinking it would make him well. Of course you did. Yeah, and the, the interesting thing about that story is, is that I learned much, much later that twins, when they are to individuate, which is to separate and find, identify their own self separate from everyone else, that a twin runs the risk of taking their twin inside their own self-boundary, which is what I did with my twin. So that's how he became half of me, you know, half of a whole. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that showed itself in many ways. He was like an extension of myself. So an integral part of your identity was this other person. Yes, yes. Okay. And your twin was a male? Yes, my and twin what, brother. And what was his name? Marvin. Marvin, okay. Yes, Marvin and Marilyn. My parents felt those were matching names. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and so Marvin struggled with mental illness. Yes, it didn't show up when we were children. We had a wonderful childhood playing on that farm. You know, we discovered the new litters of kittens, and we fed corn to the pigs, and we played in the woods behind the machine shed. We had a wonderful time. 
And when we were at adolescence, he, um, you know, he slept so deeply that my mother could barely get him up for school, and he developed an antagonistic relationship with my father. And we never thought of depression. We just thought, you know, this is how adolescents sometimes act. Uh-huh. And it, yeah, and it wasn't until he came home from a leave from the army uh, when he was in his early twenties. And he had packed his belongings into, I don't know, six or eight plastic bags that he juggled going to and from the airport. And he got into this huge altercation with one of uh, what was then a long-distance operator who was trying to help him place a call. And it was only then I began to say, you know, something doesn't seem to be quite right with my brother. Mm-hmm. But then it wasn't until we were 45 years old and he had a psychotic breakdown during a holiday visit with my mother when I had to call the police, it was a horrible, horrible, chaotic, traumatic incident, and they had to literally drag him out of the her condominium building to get him into the hospital to get the medical help he needed. And it was only then, when we were 45 years old, that he was diagnosed with severe bipolar disorder. Oh, my gosh. that that's, That is really sad. Yes, it is. Do you he think- managed... Why Why did it take so long? Was it stigma? Was it well, denial? I, certainly denial. Certainly denial. And he um, he fought his entire life against the stigma of mental illness. He would never acknowledge that he, you know, that he was bipolar, and mm-hmm. he would keep going off his medications. So he was hospitalized eight times um, before he died um, at age of 67. And he, uh, he, I think he was just fought to live a normal life. He did not want to be stigmatized by having a mental illness. Mm-hmm. So he refused to acknowledge it. In a way, it was very courageous of him, but it also reflected the huge stigma uh, of mental illness, mm-hmm. at least in his mind. And how did it influence your own identity? Well, you know, as I had, as I said, he was really uh, part of me. And when he had his mental breakdown at my mother's place at 45, it was a loud, uh, chaotic breakdown. And it triggered in me another of uh, my own breakdown, which was very quiet and silent. And I ended up going into therapy a few months later. And only my therapist knew about my my breakdown. Mm-hmm. It was in the security of his office. And he helped me uh, open up that huge ocean of grief and sorrow and sadness I had about my brother. And, you know, he helped lift me out of my depression and helped me to find the joy in my life again after being so upset over my brother. And that was, um, uh, you know, how he initially affected my life so dramatic. Well, that was how his breakdown uh, affected my life so dramatically. Mm-hmm. It, it caused me to go into therapy and kind of really work my way through all those issues I had buried uh, over time, just hidden them away and, um, and, and sort of allowed me to, um, to, in the confines of this office, to, to really look at my whole self, my whole persona, and, um, and kind of rebuild myself uh, uh, without, you know, with, with a sense of myself as a separate person. Mm-hmm. And I know this isn't supposed to be a commercial for therapy or counseling, but I have to take this opportunity to say, you know, here's a real-life story 
Um, this is not fiction. This happened to you, right? Yeah. Um, if you need help, there is no shame in getting it. What is shameful is if you refuse to get help when you know you need it. That's the yeah. ridiculousness of of us, um, you know, just being in denial or uh, refusing to face things head on. So, um, and I know for many older adults, there's still stigma attached with counseling and therapy. And all I can say is, for goodness sakes, build a bridge and get over it and get the yes. help you need because you'll be so much better for it. Um, yes. yes. And thank you for being brave and, and like sharing all of this with everybody because I know that um, that's not easy and there's cost associated with being so public about everything. Well, so, the, interesting, the interesting thing about that is, is uh, I was raised as a fundamentalist evangelical, mm-hmm. and they looked at mental illness through a biblical point of view, which yeah. was uh, you were possessed by possessed, demons. Yeah. And yes, and so the way to get help was to pray or to speak to your minister. And they were very suspect of therapists who were not born-again Christians, that mm-hmm. they might lead you astray from your religious beliefs. So the stigma was accentuated by um, those beliefs. And so for me to go into therapy and to um, uh, deal with it with a therapist uh, was a very powerful step to take because I felt in many ways I was isolating myself from my family. I was isolating myself from the community. And I didn't say anything to anyone about being in therapy for, for quite a few years. So even I was burdened by that stigma. Mm-hmm. And then when I was writing this book, Half of a Whole, I realized that, you know, that was the thing that really helped me get my life back on track. It helped me to find a way to live joyously again. So why not be honest and share it? Yeah. And and this is commentary of Lisa, not Marilyn. She may not agree with me, but... Shame on your faith if it doesn't help you (laughs) heal um, and be better and get where you need to be. Um, So, And I can understand, too, why your brother stayed in denial for so long, because I'm sure he was brought up in the same, you know, belief system. Yes, Yes, absolutely. And so I I guess it'd really be scary to admit that you were possessed by the devil. (laughs) Uh, That's even scary to to say. Yeah. yeah, and I have to say that I do think that the fundamentalist evangelicals have probably moved away from that. But we're talking the 50s. Sure. And, you know, that's that's when there was a general stigma, and then this sort of exacerbated that. Sure. But I do think that m- most people now have mental illness in their families. Now, almost everyone knows someone who has a mental illness, so it's not like it's out there with someone else. It's with you. It's in your family. It's with your friends. So mm-hmm. it's become really a very uh, common issue. Sure. And I guess I should clean my own statement up by saying I myself am a born-again Christian. <laughs> but nonetheless, oh, okay. I, I don't I don't like the idea that um, people would be put in boxes and prohibited from getting help um, right. behind some kind of doctrine. Um, now, you do, you had other siblings, or was it just you and your brother? Yes, I have an older sister. She's four years older, and I have a brother who's... Um, 10 years younger, and uh, my older sister uh, was, you know, she was involved in her own life and her own teenage um, boyfriends, and so uh, much of what was going on with my brother um, 
uh, she really was unaware of, and she worries about that, you know, that she wasn't there for me. And actually, she was a very generous, good-hearted sister, and, uh, you know, she didn't know um, what was going on because I was in having huge difficulties with my relationship with my mother as well. Mm-hmm. And my younger brother was 10 years younger, so he was really in a different generation. I felt like he was my child rather than my sibling. Uh-huh. And he still farms that farm that I grew up on. So it's wonderful to go back there and spend time visiting the farm where I grew up. I love that place. Yeah. And I must say, I love my cousins and uh, born-again Christians. You know, many of them are, and they're mm-hmm. wonderful people. Mm-hmm. And uh, another point that you're making here that I think is so important, and you you almost said it just a few moments ago, dysfunction. You know, you said mental illness. You know somebody who is mentally ill. It's probably somebody in your own family, but dysfunctional families, that's just what happens. (laughs) That's just who we are. We have to work through it, right? Um, Yes. And it starts by admitting it and owning it, and and, um, and then some people like you are brave and share your stories with others. Um, And, and you know, um, with my brother... When he, uh, whenever he uh, went off his medications and became manic, he would lash out at me and he would accuse me of ruining his life because I was the reason he had gotten diagnosed. He called it being labeled. He was labeled with a mental illness because Mm -hmm. of me. He would lash out. But then when he went back on his medications, he was the same gentle, kind twin that I had these very close bonds to. And those bonds were still there. So, um, you know, mental illness is, uh, you know, it's like someone uh, has heart disease, someone has cancer, and someone has a mental illness. Mm-hmm. So uh, it doesn't define them, but it is something that one has to deal with. Right. And you you also allude to favoritism. Um, and that's, yes. a, that's a thing in families, right, especially when it comes to siblings. Talk yes. to me about that. Yes. Well, I, it, as soon as the doctor, a few minutes after I was born, as soon as the doctor held my brother up and said, ah, Winston, our father, I have to tell him he finally got the son he wanted. Oh, dear. And what that meant was in our family and in our tradition, the firstborn son, which was my twin, was the one who was supposed to assume authority. He was supposed to be the one who took responsibility for the family. He was the one who was to take over the farm. And so my, he obviously was the favorite child right away, and my mother took it upon herself to make him into the twin my father wanted. And what happened was, I'm still stunned at the story of how early this began, because I found out much later in life that my mother had kept me in a walker for three months after I could walk across a room so that I would not walk before my twin brother. Oh, my... And yeah, and that was because anything I did, made she thought, made him look bad. Mm-hmm. And so that favoritism played out over time. Now, I loved my mother. She, she was a wonderful caretaker. She did so much for us. But she could not tolerate my successes. She could not um, deal with them because she thought I was you know, making my brother um, look unsuccessful. So she diminished me. Um, she criticized me. Um, and only uh, 15 years after I ended therapy did I uh, manage to surface that rage I had repressed against, you know, with my mother and finally confronted her 
And it was after I found the baby books and learned how early it had started and how long it had lasted. And what I realized at the end was I, my mother was not capable of giving me what I wanted. You know, I wanted her blessings. I wanted her championship. I wanted her to stop criticizing me. And at that point, I accepted the fact that she really wasn't capable of giving me what I needed. And when I accepted that, that was what gave me the freedom to step out of her control, to live my life on my own terms. Is that kind of like forgiveness? Yes, yes. And in fact, you are absolutely right. I forgave her. I accepted it. I forgave her. In the writing of my book, I I really had to dig deep, deeply into all these things. And Mm -hmm. I began to really understand why my mother did what she did, why my father did what he did, why all of us were operating according to our own beliefs and our values. And I forgave everyone. I didn't intentionally forgive them. I just automatically forgave them, and I certainly forgave my mother. And uh, the only sad part of that was, was shortly after um, we had this confrontation, and I found within myself the capacity to forgive all of it, uh, she started to slide into dementia. But um, So I never was able to have that wonderful relationship I had hoped to have with her in her final years. But even so, she turned into um, a lovely, wonderful person. They put her on an antidepressant. And uh, so I had a loving relationship <clears throat> relationship with her, even though, you know, her mind was slipping away from her. Mm-hmm. And we've done lots of, lots of talks about dementia, um, and that's a, a whole nother journey, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is a whole nother journey. So it's interesting um, to learn about how intertwined identity is for twins and how how intertwined it can be. Um, What advice would you give to parents of twins after everything you've been through? Yes, um, I think, first of all, uh, there's there's been some real um, discussions about whether you should separate twins when they start school because, of course, they tend to be very closely tied to each other. And I think that, that, you, that should not be done. I think it's fine for twins to be, and this is my own opinion, for twins to be together in school because um, to, to, to pull them apart is kind of traumatic. But at the same time, uh, and, and before they start school, from the time they're little, I would be very, very careful about trying not to compare them. For instance, if I could walk across the room, why did they stop me? Why didn't they just value my uh, my twin for what he was? He was a very sweet, loving uh, boy, very cute, sweet, and loving. And um, to find things to value in mm-hmm. each of the twins without comparing them. And I would say to help them champion them for their own abilities, their own interests, and allow them to be separate people uh, in as much as they want to be. Yeah, it's interesting. I heard somebody say once um, of couples that before you get married, you're fighting to look like a couple and to show everybody your unity and your oneness. And then after you get married, you're fighting um, to be an individual again. Um, (laughs) Both are important. Um, I hope that's the takeaway that people hear. Both are important. It's important to embrace those family connections. And I'm not a twin, but I'm very close to my siblings. I, I can't imagine the closeness and the connection and the oneness that you might feel with a twin. But at the same time, you're an individual and you've got your own strengths and weaknesses and 
your own challenges and baggage, and um, you have to be seen for who you are. Yes, exactly. I think you've summarized it very well. Well, I so appreciate you calling in and, and sharing pieces of your story. I want to encourage everyone to buy the book. It will be available, I suspect, anywhere you can buy a book. Amazon.com, will they have it? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And again, it's called Half of a Whole, My Fight for a Separate Life. If you are a twin or if you're close to siblings, I think you will find this fascinating. Anything you want to leave the audience with, Marilyn? Uh, just that um, at even though, you know, with my difficulties with my twin and with my mother, that if you persevere, um, that uh, the love is still there. You may just have to dig a while to find it. And love is worth it. Love yes, is worth, worth digging. Well, thank you again. Listeners, we hope you enjoyed the program and learned a little something. Till next time, may the road rise to meet you. May the wind be forever at your back. <laughs>